We had my father to dinner last uh, Sunday night, and my life wa- uh, wife likes to watch on PBS. I guess you'd call it a British soap opera, Downton Abbey. And so there's my dad, show he's never seen before, uh, and watches it for a couple hours, and we take him home, and he gets in the car and says to me, you know, I didn't understand anything that was going on or even a word that they said. Sometimes it can feel like that when we're in church together. So let me at least tell you uh, the last episode. The last episode that we had together, God called Abram to go to a a foreign place and didn't even tell him where that would be. And then what we didn't cover is later in that chapter, there's a famine in that land. So Abram and his family end up in Egypt. And he's so worried about the Egyptians, he doesn't trust them. He thinks they might try to kill him and take his wife. So he says to Sarai, tell them you're my sister, then they won't kill me. So the king is about to take Abram's wife for himself. And then God warns him and basically says, I wouldn't do that. And so the king is a little upset that Abram didn't tell him the whole truth. And tells him to leave Egypt, but gives him all sorts of wealth. And he leaves with Lot and Sarai and more wealth than they had before. And then we pick up the story in the 13th chapter of Genesis, beginning in verse 5. Now, Lot was moving about uh, with uh, Abraham, and he had flocks and herds and tents. And their possessions were so great that the land could not hold them when they were together. So quarreling broke out between Lot's herders and Abram's herders uh, over the land. And there were Canaanites and Perizzites also in the land. So Abram said to Lot, let there not be any quarreling between you and me, between your herders and my herders. Are we not close relatives? Is not the whole land before us? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right... I'll go to the left. So Lot looked, and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was was well watered, just like the garden of the Lord. And as you know, that well watered area turned out to be Sodom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. When I was growing up, There was a saying, I don't think they use it much anymore. Two people might come to a passage or a door at the same time, and they're trying to decide who goes first. And so one of them might say to the other one, well, age before beauty. Now, I was never the beauty in that scenario, and I've gotten close to being the age. But what I've understand is it's almost universal among cultures that there are certain prerogatives that go with age. It's even more so in the ancient Near East, uh, 4,000 years ago in the time of Abram and Lot. Uh, old age was to be, to, to be respected. Uh, those who were older were to have the first choice and uh, the first dibs on things. So it's amazing to me that when they come up to this hill and they're looking over the entire promised land or what, what they can see, that Abram says to Lot, you go first and choose. It's even more amazing to me that Lot does that. And goes ahead and takes away the prerogative from Abram. When you think about it, Abram's his uncle. Abram is apparently his guardian. Abram is certainly his senior. And if you read between the lines in the scripture, Abram is the source of all of Lot's wealth because God keeps blessing Abram, even in Egypt. And Abram keeps collecting more and Lot is with him so he gets more. And yet, amazingly to me, 
Lot says, okay. Looks over the land, and it looks pretty good over in the direction of what will become our, he doesn't know what it's called, but it will be Sodom. And he chooses first. This morning, I want to think about that for a minute. And I know you, you can say to me, well, he chose first because Abram told him to chose first and choose first, and that's the end of it. But it's not for me. I want to know why is it that Lot would do that? Why would Lot usurp Abram? What's going on there? And then why is Abram so magnanimous about it? What's going on in Abraham? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but I think we get clues. I think one of the things that's real clear is that, that Lot is gaining in wealth, and he wants to solidify and hold on to that wealth. He's got lots of herds. He's got flocks. He's got tents. He wants to hold on to them and have a place. I mean, when you think about it, he's got a lot more years to live than Abram. He's the one that needs more of the security set out. Who knows how many more years Abram will be here. And so he sets out to grab and make his own security uh, at the expense of Abram, and he'll choose first. Now, I'm not against security. Uh, I'm against security at the expense of what God's calling us to do. Remember, we saw that in the story of the Tower of Babel. But all of us, most of us at least, contribute to retirement. Uh, most of us, if we have college kids, we, our kids will be in college one day, try to build up a, a college savings plan of some sort. Uh, we hope to have a house or equity in a house by the time we retire. I understand that. But there is a difference, I think, between what John Eldridge once called arranging life and receiving life. There's a difference between trying to grasp everything that you can get and arrange all the pieces on the chessboard in your favor and receiving those things that God has, has blessed you with. And what we see, I think, in Lot is this effort to, to arrange life, to try to secure his future. Abram, by contrast, we'll see, is willing to trust God with that future. But Lot doesn't seem to know that or think about that. And if he's going to have any land in the future, it's only going to be the land he can grab. And if his flocks are going to grow in the future, it's only going to be if he sets everything up exactly right. And to do that, he has to take what perhaps rightfully belongs to Abram. And I think you get in Lot, if I'm not overreading it or stating it, a picture of a person who will hoard and who will grasp and who will control to try to secure his very future. And in doing so, what happens to him is what happens to everybody in the Bible who tries to grasp and hold on and manipulate things for themselves. What, whatever they were trying to hold on to, they end up losing anyway. The tighter they grasp the gifts of God, those gifts slide through. It's a little bit like the old proverbial candle in the wind, we might say. If we're worried about the candle going out, we may smother it to keep anything from going into it, but eventually choking it of air, it goes out anyway. The tighter we try to hold, the more things close off and slip away. And this, I think, happens to Lot. And he thinks he's arranged life beautifully to the place that he ends up, um, ends up being one of the worst places on earth. He grasped, he held... Uh, Andrew told the children about having a heart that was full and abundant. His heart almost is shrunk. He has no room for generosity. He only has room for manipulation and control because, quite frankly, the future is uncertain and he wants to try to control it. It doesn't work too well. 
So his heart gives him away. But it's not just his heart, his eyes fail him too. We're told that he looks up. And, and there's a place when I went to Israel um, with Ray Vanderlein. He takes you on a certain hill. And from this hill, you can probably see 70 to 75% of the promised land, including uh, Sodom. So it's even likely we might have stood there. And you can see the differences. And he looks and finds the very best choice land for himself. It looks great, and he claims it. But the problem is, as you know in the Bible, looks are often deceiving. What, we, what appears to be good is often not that way. What appears to be bad is often not that way. It appears that this little boy, David, could never handle a giant, but it's not that way. It appears these waves on the Sea of Galilee are going to overwhelm us and we will drown, but it's not that way with Jesus in the boat. Looks and appearance is always deceiving. And one of the things that he sees is, according to the Bible, he sees the garden of the Lord, or what he thinks is the garden of the Lord. Translation is, he thinks he can go back to the garden of Eden. What they had so many generations ago, so idyllic, he thinks he can recreate the past. See, one of the problems is when we try to hold on to things, we end up trying to hold on to the past and we end up missing the future. He wants to recreate what was rather than to receive what might be coming. Appearances are always deceiving. I heard a counselor say one time, you may have heard it before, that often our problem in life is we judge our insides by other people's outsides. You know, so we decide we're happy or sad or victimized or blessed by what we think is going on in the lives of other people. And so if they look like they have it all together and we know we don't, then inside we judge ourselves as failing. When it looks like they have more than we have and their life is trouble-free, then our life looks less appealing. But we don't really know what's going on over there. If you look in the bulletin today, there's that quote from uh, comedian Jim Carrey who said he hopes everybody could become rich and famous and have everything they want so that they could all learn it's not what it's cracked up to be. Years ago when I was a student pastor, I was talking uh, with the senior pastor about a a wonderful couple and they had three kids in our church. And I just said, you know, I, I hope that when we have children it'll be just like that. I mean, they really are the perfect family. They they look that way to me. And he didn't say much to me. He said, well, you never know is all he said. But he knew. And I would find out within two weeks that the family was imploding. The children were all over the place and in trouble with the law. The marriage was down to its last thread, the holding it together. But nobody knew because the outside looked like the well-watered garden of God. Looks are deceiving. His eyes give him, uh, deceive him. His heart gives him away. But let's look at Abram, who's willing to give up his prerogative uh, that the culture gives him, that God would give him. And he lets Lot choose first. Why is that? Because I think Abram has learned an important lesson, that his future is not dependent on him. His future is dependent on God. His future is not dependent on him arranging the best uh, possible uh, opportunities for himself. His future is dependent on walking into the opportunities that God provides for him. There's a difference between to manipulate your future and receive the future that God has for you. And Abram knows this because when he met God in chapter 12, he had no children, he had no future, he had no nothing. He was going to live out his days in Haran. But God opened a future for him and said, you will have a child. You will have a nation. He knows his future is not on his skill. 
It's only going to come by God. And he's just, as we mentioned, come out of Egypt. And in Egypt, he did everything wrong. He lied to the king. He made his wife a liar. He did it all wrong, and it came out all right. He knew that if he was in charge of his future, he was sunk. But if he could trust God with his future, it might just work out. I think Abram knew that looks are deceiving. He looked too old to have a child. His wife looks too old to have a child. Sodom looks like the only good place to farm and ranch. And looks are deceiving. You just never know. The one thing we know is that our future is uncertain, but I think the other thing we ought to know is we probably misinterpret our present as well. It may not be as bad as we think. It may not be as good as we think. But we trust God with it. A wonderful story comes out of uh, the Far East. A story uh, about a man in the, uh, living outside a village, and he has this one horse. He loves the horse. Horse does everything. Horse takes him to town. Horse takes his supplies and helps him buy new supplies. By traveling him to town, he uses the horse to uh, plow the land. Uh, his, uh, his children, who are now older teens and above, love the horse as, as a pet. The horse is everything, and one day the horse escapes and runs away. And the people in the village said, oh, that's such bad luck. I'm so sorry for you. And his response was, well, you know, bad luck, good luck. Who's to say? The next week the horse returns and brings six stallions with him. And everybody in the village says, that's amazing. What good fortune. One horse to seven. What good luck. And he said, well, good luck, bad luck. Who's to say? Sure enough, his, uh, his son was trying to break in one of the stallions, got thrown, broke his leg in three places. The people in the village came to him. They said, what terrible luck. Your son broke his leg in three places. He said, well, bad luck, good luck, who's to say? War broke out between that village and a neighboring city-state. Every uh, male between 16 and 40 was conscripted to go in uh, to this battle on behalf of their city-state. Every young man in the village died in the battle, except his son who wasn't conscripted because he had a broken leg. And the people in the town who were left came to him. They said, you were so fortunate that your son had his leg broken and couldn't fight in this battle. And he said, good luck, bad luck, who's to say? All we know is that we don't know. So what do we know? We know that God is with us. And that the future is in the hands of God, not really in our own. doesn't mean we don't do anything, but what it means is we do what God calls us to do with God, what God gives us. That's different than trying to manipulate it. It's very interesting to me, and I didn't give you, I didn't memorize all the verses this morning, so I'm going to tell you what you missed when I, did, I didn't go all the way to verse 13. In verse um, 9, Lot looks up and sees that it looks just like the Garden of Eden in his mind. And then in verse 13, when Lot's run off and he's all excited about the land he's going to have near Sodom, God says to Abram, now you look up. And everything you see, Abram, he said, will be yours, and I will bless you and make you a great nation. Notice the difference. One looks on his own, and one waits until God tells him to look. One tries to make his future, and out of his shriveled heart, he ends up grasping and losing. The other trusts out of an abundant heart and receives the future that God has for him. Last Sunday, uh, you may remember these baskets, and I suggested to you that, that God might be calling you to something new, to a new future. 
And I invited you to pray and think about that. And if you knew what that call might be, to, to put it in the basket. And if you weren't sure, but you're willing to answer that call, we'll answer that in the basket. Uh, but let me add on that today. I think part of what helps you answer a call is into an uncertain future is that you can take a moment and look in the past and realize that the very fact that you are still here today, God has blessed you and has done something with you in your life. Not that all my life and yours has been easy all the way, but that when we look back, we can see places that at the time we didn't realize it was God, but now we realize that it was God who was there. And when I can see that in my past, I can move forward better into that uncertain future. This past week, I was looking through some old papers from school. And when I mean school, I mean 30 years ago. And I found, one out of the papers, a note fell out. I knew it wasn't my writing, so I started to read it. And it was from a celebration that my very first church and the youth group had for me when we left after three years with them. It was as far away as Egypt must have been for Abram, and we went. And I read that and read all the things that God had done, that we had done together in that far away place. And I got the realization that it doesn't matter where I've been or where I've gone. God has always been there. And has always worked in ways that, quite frankly, have surprised me and that I wouldn't have planned. And really, the life that I've had to date is a lot better than the one I would have charted out for myself. I, I thought, I can go forward. I don't know what next week brings, but I can do it. Because I can look back and see that I wasn't alone in it. This morning, I hope that you'll find in your bulletin another card for this Sunday. And I want to remind you that if you put it in the basket, uh, I'm not looking at these God knows this is between you and God. But I want to invite you in the next couple of minutes to think about a blessing or two that God has given you. And this morning, it's your way of saying, not only thank you, God, but I would invite you then to come forward and put it in one of the baskets like we did last week. It's a custom, as I mentioned, they have in Africa. And, and when you put it in the basket, I think it's your way of saying, God, I don't know the future. But when I look back, I know that you were there, and so I know that you will be there. And so I invite you uh, this morning, take a few moments, and if you can think of a way where you've seen the blessing and the hand of God in your life, write it down. Put it in a basket and then return to your seat as we look forward to moving toward where God is calling us.